stones are properly placed, the foundation and the structure that's built upon that foundation can be stable, secure, reliable, and safe. Likewise, when cornerstones of faith are securely in place, when cornerstones of faith are securely in place, we, you, me, we're able to make a positive difference in the world we live in. We began by looking at the first cornerstone of faith, which was practice. How we practice our faith directly impacts the reliability and the effectiveness of our Christian life. And the Bible gave us four principles that we as believers ought to be fleshing out. Are you hearing me? We ought to be fleshing out these principles as we're learning to practice our faith. Showing that God is at work in our life. Focusing on living out our faith. Realizing that you were saved for a purpose. And making your walk match your talk is what makes a believer real. It's what makes a believer genuine in the world that we live in. So as we continue today to set in place these cornerstones, perhaps to shore up these cornerstones of faith, it's going to be obvious today that dealing with sin, dealing with sin is the Christian's greatest challenge. Sin hinders our fellowship with God. Sin hampers the joy in our Christian life. Sin hurts our testimony and causes unbelievers to stumble. And so today, we're reminded that an ounce of prevention is worth far more than a pound of cure. It's easier to prevent sin from the outset than trying to deal with the repercussions of sin in our life. That adage, an ounce of prevention is worth far more than a pound of cure, is proven true in this COVID-19 epidemic. If we'll prevent it, it's a whole lot better than trying to deal with it after the fact. Amen? Well, it will also prove true in our battle against sin. So in this message, we are going to focus on shoring up this cornerstone. Shoring up this cornerstone of faith, and here it comes, preventing sin. Preventing sin. Now the Bible teaches that sin originates from one of three places in your life. It can come from the flesh, that sinful nature you are born with. It can come from the world, the fallen world that we live in. But it also can come from the devil's temptations. 
Last week we found that the simplest way to conquer our flesh, the simplest way to conquer our inherited sinful nature is by relinquishing control of the gray matter between your ears. Relinquishing control of your mind to the Holy Spirit of God. James chapter 1 and verse 13, the Bible says that each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. What he and she is thinking about. Drawn away by his own desires. Enticed. And then when the desire, the thought, is has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is full grown, it gives way to death. As I mentioned last week, friends, the mind is the spiritual battlefield for us. The mind is the battlefield. If God controls your thoughts, God will control your actions. Are you hearing me, church? If he controls what you're thinking, he'll control how you act. Another source of sin is the fallen world that we live in. And we know that everything in this world has been tarnished by sin. Because of sin, we have things like this coronavirus. If it weren't for sin, there would not be any virus. But everything as a result of sin is breaking down and will ultimately fade away. And so that leaves the devil, the third source of sin. And the devil, friend, has made it his business to draw you away from God by tempting you to disobey his word. That's his sole focus. To draw you away from God by tempting you to disobey God's word. So we got to be reminded here that it's not a sin to be tempted. Even Jesus himself was tempted in the wilderness. But we do sin when we give in to that temptation. The good news is, you and I have help. We have help from the Holy Spirit. God has given us specific ways that we can handle temptation in our life. So today, I want to share with you three things that you need to remember as you deal with sin day in and day out. Number one, first of all, realize who it is that's tempting you. Realize who it is that's tempting you. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul wrote, wrote to the small church, and he said, Finally, my brethren, in verse 10 of chapter 6, Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. You see, friend, the Bible doesn't just compare your spiritual life to a war. The Bible calls your spiritual life against sin a war. And as in any battle, 
if you expect victory in any form or shape, you have got to know your enemy. You have got to know your enemy. In this case, our enemy is the same enemy that faced off against Jesus in the wilderness. His name is Satan. And we need to know that Satan is absolutely infuriated that you have surrendered your life to Christ. He has gone ballistic against you because he sees you as a potential threat to his kingdom. The upside is this. Satan is not as powerful as he would have you to think. Here are two things, for instance, that Satan does not want you to know. Number one, Satan does not want you to know that he has been conquered by Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that he disarmed the devil, took away his rifle, took away his weapon. The devil could no longer control you, and the devil could no longer condemn you because of your sin. Satan also knows that because Jesus died for those who believe, he could no longer hold the penalty of death over your head. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Bill, how do you know these things? Well, the Bible tells me so. Listen to what Colossians chapter 2 tells us. Colossians chapter 2 in verse 11. See, I'm going to start in verse 13. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, Jesus, has made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was written against us, which was contrary to us. And he, Jesus, has taken away those sins, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed Having disarmed the principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the flesh. But let me read you this verse in Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 14, where the Bible says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus himself, likewise shared in the same, that through death, he might destroy him who had power of death, that is, the devil. He is our enemy. But he is a disarmed enemy. Your enemy has been conquered by Jesus. But the fact that Jesus defeated Satan doesn't mean that he doesn't have any power. Because he does. But what it does mean is this. Satan does not have the upper hand over you because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The devil was conquered by Jesus. But we also know that the Bible says that the devil has definite limitations. Definite limitations. You see, Satan would have you believe that he is God's equal. But he ain't. Say he ain't. He ain't. He's not God's equal. However, he has clear 
and concise and definite limitations as to what he can and cannot do. What you need to know is this, is that before he can bring one temptation, before he can bring one hardship your way, he has to go through the protective hedge of God. He cannot bring it to you of his own accord. He must bring it first through the protective hedge of God. See, there's a story in the Old Testament. A story when there was a day that Satan came to present himself to the Lord. And in Job chapter 1 verse 8, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? That there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and shuns evil, turns away from evil. And so Satan answered the Lord, and he said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Is there no reason that Job is so righteous? Is there no reason that Job shuns evil? Satan said to the Lord, Have you not made a hedge around him? Have you not made a hedge around his household? Have you not made a hedge around all that he has on every side? Have you not blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the field? And Satan said to the Lord, But now stretch out your hand and surely all that he has will be in your power. Excuse me. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely, Job will surely curse you to your face. And so the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. And so Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now we know that what followed, that the Lord had allowed the enemy to bring upon all these tragedies in Job's life. We know that Job suffered greatly, but the most important part of what I want you to know this morning is he couldn't have done it unless God said it was okay. And God wouldn't have said it was okay unless it was for your benefit, unless it was for your good, unless it was to make you stronger, unless it was to make you have more faith. Listen up. Temptation will come your way. Temptation will come your way in this Christian life. But if you're wise, you will cling to the Lord all that much tighter, especially when the devil tries to entice you. And then once you've withstood that temptation, you're going to be stronger because of it. You're going to have more faith in God because of it. Martin Luther, the great reformist, once said, One Christian who has been tempted is worth a thousand who haven't. Why? Because that one Christian's stronger. Why? Because that one Christian has more faith. Why? Because that one Christian has come to God in the midst of his hardship and suffering. Now, 
It's important to realize who it is that's tempting us. But the second thing that we need to remember when we're dealing with temptation is that we can give a fight. We can put up a fight. We can resist the devil. See, once again, friend, Satan realizes the value of getting in your head. He realizes that the mind is a battlefield. Now, he can't read your mind. He doesn't know what you're thinking, but he understands your sinful nature all too well. Satan knows your sinful nature very well, and he seeks to get a foothold in how you think. He wants a foothold in your thought life. He knows that sin is not just the action. He knows that sin is not just the deed. He knows that sin is something that lurks in the heart. He knows that sin is something that lurks in your mind. And if it's in your mind, it's just a matter of time before it leads to an action. He knows that if he can just manipulate things. He knows if he can just plant a sinful suggestion in your head. Then that sinful action ain't very far behind. How, Bill? How can we resist these tactics and these temptations from this enemy? Well, James gives us four ways. In James chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, he writes, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Let's break that down. First, he says, You've got to submit to God. You've got to submit yourself to God. Because God is holy, because God is absolutely without sin, and he knows that's the best place to be, he wants you to be likewise. He wants you to be holy. He wants you to be without sin. And he wants it so bad that he will help you to do so. That's what Pentecost is all about. The Spirit of God coming down to, to fleshly human beings to help us to live holy lives without sin. But for God to help you, if you really want God to help you, then you have got to submit to His authority. You've got to submit to his authority in your life. Every single Christian on the face of this planet must grapple with this question. Is Jesus truly the Lord of my life? Does God really have absolute authority over everything I do, everything I say, and everything I think? If your answer is no to either question, you are not submitting to God and you cannot expect to deal successfully with temptation because we've got to submit ourselves to God. You cannot resist the devil 
without first submitting to God. Number two, James says, hey, y'all, y'all got to put up a fight sometimes. You got to resist. Resist the devil. You see, once you've submitted your life to God, if the devil throws you a bone of temptation, listen, y'all ain't got to take it. We don't have to take the bone. But when you give in to temptation, when you take the bone that the devil throws you, all you're doing is becoming an easy target for continued temptation one after another. But if you will submit to God, if you will put up a fight, if you will resist the carrot, the Bible says, get this, the devil will flee from you. He will flee from you. He will give up tempting you, at least for now. He's coming back, but at least from, for now, he will flee from you. So what's the key? The key is repetition. Just like with raising your children, the key to success is repetition. Every time it comes, I submit to God. Every time it comes, I resist the devil. Every time it comes, I submit to God. Every time it comes, I resist the devil. Repetition over and over again. So resist the enemy's tactics. Resist the enemy's temptations. How? By submitting to God. Resisting the devil. But if you hope to have any version of continued victory, then you've got to do number three, and that is draw close to God. The closer you are to God, the further you are away from the devil. Amen? I love the school of common sense. The closer I am to God, the further I am from the enemy of God. Draw close. Friend, the more time you spend in intimate communication with the Father, the less time you will have to listen to any of the devil's foolishness. The more time you spend in study of God's word, the less likely you will be to fall into any of Satan's deceptions. The more time you devote to serving others in the name of Jesus, the less time you will have to serve sin, to serve self, and to serve Satan. The closer you are to God, the further you are David in Psalm 16:8 said it this way. He said, I have made a choice. I have set the Lord always before me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. What was he saying? I'm choosing to be closer to God so I'll be further away from the Friend, if you want to whoop the enemy of your soul, if you want to win over these temptations he throws your way, then you've got to draw close to the one who loves you more than words could describe. Here's number four that James gave us to dealing with this temptation. He said, finally, wash your hands and purify your heart. Friends, listen, this is a clarion call for those who are harboring sin in their lives to quit it. Quit it. Don't harbor sin in your life. When you harbor sin in your life, you're basically just rolling over. 
and giving Satan free access. You're just rolling over and giving the devil continued opportunity to attack you, to attack your family, to attack your marriage. You can't harbor sin as a believer. You can't harbor sin as a child of God. See, with his children, God is the one that should be working in our lives, not the devil. And if you have been harboring sin in your life, Christian, then today is your day to quit it, to commit, to stop doing it, to commit to confessing that sin before God, to commit, friend, to ask God to cleanse you from that sin and plead with him, implore him to continue working through you once again. Christians can't harbor sin in their life. God only uses clean and empty vessels for his glory. He will not use a vessel that's filthy, and he will not use a vessel that's full of sin. So it's up to you to be cleansed of sin and to be emptied of self. So realize who's tempting you. Put up a fight and resist the devil. But finally today, the third thing you need to remember when you're dealing with this issue of temptation, and that is to rejoice. Rejoice because the victory is yours in Christ Jesus. Rejoice. You see, friend, God fully understands that when we as humans are tempted, we're tempted by one thing or another every day of our life, it seems. It's because of the world we live in. It's because of our sinful nature. But it's also because of this arch enemy of God. And you may say, well, why don't God step in and do something about it then? He knows I struggle. He knows I'm tempted. Why does he step in? Why does he remove that? Can I tell you that God has... And he is in the process of doing something about sin once and for all. You see, friend, sin does not have to be a permanent condition for you. It does not have to be a permanent condition for you. That's what Pentecost is all about. God coming down in the form of his spirit to occupy his place in your heart so that you don't have to have sin as a permanent condition in your life. So that you have the power to combat temptation and the enemy. He cares so deeply for you. He loves you so much that God himself has taken action to help you in times of temptation. How do you know, Bill? Well, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, here's what he said. He said, listen up, church folks. He said, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. But God is faithful, church folks. God is faithful who will not allow. Remember what we found in Job? God's got to allow it. But God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape so that you may be able to resist it, so that you may be able to bear it, so that you may be able to endure that temptation. Man, that one verse is packed. 
That one verse gives us two rays of hope when we're dealing with temptation. Number one, it's good for me to know that Jesus understands. He understands my situation in temptation. Jesus has faced any temptation that you are currently facing or that you will ever face. He's already, he's already faced it. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like, and he can sympathize with your incredible challenge to temptation. Here's what was written in Hebrews chapter 4. Seeing then that we have such a great high priest. Man, I pray that you guys love me, but you got a lot better pastor than me, amen? Jesus is our pastor. Seeing then that you have a great high pastor, amen, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points, in every way, he was tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Jesus understands. He knows what you're going through. He understands your circumstances. He understands your temptation. He's been there. But God will also give you the strength for temptation. He'll give you the ability to handle the temptation in a way that honors him. You see, whenever a child of God faces temptation, that child has the promise of Scripture, the promise of 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God will always, say always, God will always give his child one of two things. Here they come. When you're facing temptation, God will always give you one of two things. One, he will give you the power to resist it outright. Or, God will give you a way to escape it. Sometimes the way out is rather literal. Sometimes, for instance, if you're binging on Netflix, and as you're binging and you're watching this program after program after program, and then this sexually explicit scene comes on the television, you have a way of escape. You can get up out of your recliner and walk out of that room. You can take that remote and change that channel. There is a way of escape for you. Is Jesus truly the Lord of your life? Or, let's say you're tempted to sin by joining in a discussion about somebody else's sin. Anybody been there? I don't even like to confess that, but I've done it. You're tempted to join in a discussion about somebody else's sin. What do you do? Well, you realize that it's high time for you to rely on the Holy Spirit and rely on His power to help you resist joining in that discussion. Realizing, friend, that your sins 
are equally disgusting in the eyes of God than that person's sins. There's either a way of escape or there's the power to resist. But either way, God wants you to be victorious over the temptations to sin, the temptation to uh, lean on self, and the temptations that Satan throws at you. He wants you to be victorious, and that's why he sent Jesus to redeem you. That's why God sent the Holy Spirit to help you. Because he wants you to be victorious over sin, self, and Satan. So the next time that you're tempted, it may be right now. Man, I wish he would wrap it up. <laughs> the next time you're tempted, the next time that you're tested, remember this. God will allow hardship in your life. If you ever had any hardship, just shake your head right now. God will allow hardship in your life. It's the testimony of every one of us here. But that hardship will always be filtered through the screen of God's love. How do you know, Bill? Because you're still here. You're still professing faith in Jesus. And so I know that your hardship that you acknowledged came through the screen of the love of God. You know, I've read that the greatest temptation that Satan throws to humans is to make us think that we have plenty of time to surrender our lives to Christ. Don't worry about it. You're coming back next Sunday. Surrender your life then. Just wait. There's no reason for you to be embarrassed. There's no reason for you to walk up to the front of the church on your own. Just wait is what Satan says. Yet listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said in Revelation 22:12, 12, the last chapter, the end of the story, he said, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. So you can believe that what Satan said, you got plenty of time, or you can believe what Jesus said, he's coming quickly. Maybe there was a day when you said, all right, I believe Jesus. But if you're honest with yourself, and if you're honest with God, you may have professed it with your mouth, but you never surrendered your life. You harbored all the sin, you harbored yourself, you harbored your life because you thought you knew what was best. Can I tell you that just because you said that Jesus died on the cross doesn't mean that you said Jesus died on the cross for me. Even the demons know that Jesus died on the cross. Even the demons know that Jesus was raised from the dead. 
But only you can say, Jesus died for me and was raised again for me. So if you can trust in your mind, that's where the battlefield is, trust in your mind that God loves you infinitely. If you can believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on that cross for your sins, your sins, then friend, why not take action? Remember what I said? If God controls the thoughts, God will control the actions. So if you're making this mental ascent that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, why not take action? Why not surrender your life to Jesus today? He's coming quickly. And his rewards are coming with him to give to everyone according to their work. Today is your day. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for adequately dealing with the problem that each and every person in this building has and that is dealing with sin cancer and the temptation to harbor it even in our lives as your children 